Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. So today we're talking with Dr. Linda Fuselet, who's Associate Dean for Undergraduate Education in the College of Arts and Sciences. Welcome, Linda. Hi. Uh, would you tell us about your role in the dean's office? What, what is your focus and your charge? You know, it is actually fairly broad, but I guess I would say that in particular, I am an advocate for high quality undergraduate instruction and undergraduate experiences. Um, I do this really mainly through meeting with undergraduate directors who are representatives from each of the departments. Uh, working closely with admissions and other departments and other units on campus and being a part of like an unbelievable number of committees. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right. So earlier this year, I saw you give a talk at the Celebration of Teaching and Learning, and you were talking about how we judge the quality of teaching and whether teachers are uh, and instructors are teaching effectively. Can you talk a little bit about how we evaluate teaching? Yeah, we don't do it very well, (laughs) let me just say. And I want to also point out that it's, especially it's not about judging teaching as much as it's practice. It's about continuous improvement, right? One of the things that I really want to do is promote a culture where people are okay with going into another person's classroom, watching them teach and learning something about their own teaching as well. So in the arts and sciences, essentially we have two things that are required for evaluation of teaching. The student evaluations of teaching, the things that the student fills out at the end of the semester about the course, and peer review or peer observation of teaching. Unfortunately, there have been no guidelines around the peer observation of teaching, and that is problematic because what you end up doing is you have a friend sit in your class (laughs) and they write wonderful things about you, you know? Um, And really, that's not going to be something that's informative for either of you, frankly. So it's not enough. And what we want to be able to do then, which we can't do, because first of all, student evaluations of teaching are riddled with the potential for bias. Tell me a little bit more about that, because uh, I I feel like everyone listening who has had student evaluations is probably (laughs) applauding you right now. Tell me what, what we know about bias in these evaluations. Well, in particular, for women and for people of color, they are incredibly biased. Not just the the numbers that you scratch from one to five, those ratings, but also the written, the language that is used. In fact, one of our undergraduate researchers did a project on this where she found that the language used in student evaluations of teaching for a woman of color were incredibly different and much more negative and with the assumption of negative outcomes compared to um, a comparison white colleague. So they're very biased and they're not necessarily the best way to know about teaching constructively, right? 
So I am not saying, though, that the student's voice is not important. I do think the student's voice is important, but basing everything on student evaluations is not a good way to look at a class and see what's happening. It sounds like the, the student component is necessary, maybe even mandated by the accrediting bodies, right, to understand mm -hmm. how they see the teaching. Necessary but not sufficient, and in, in its worst form, maybe even biased as well. And so there's got to be something else beyond the student evaluation of, of a faculty member's teaching. That's, that's the point you're trying to make, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, in fact, it should be a multi-metric approach, right? So, so what, what is that? Uh, it's going to be more than one thing, right? The student's voice, uh, peer observations of teaching, but those peer observations should also include things like what's on your syllabus? Uh, what are your oh, assignments look okay. like? What is the structure of your class? Are you including evidence-based practice? How is the classroom atmosphere? All of these different And there's things. no way the student has the wherewithal to really evaluate those things. Right, right. The students often comment on fairness and <laughs> grading, and yeah. those things are important, but it does help to have someone, especially someone with experience with evidence-based pedagogy, to look at a class and see what's happening. Well, all right, so my concern about this, and when I talk to faculty and I want them to introduce more active learning techniques and, and do different things in their classrooms, they're always gonna, well, the students hate it. I don't, and I'm gonna get really poor evaluations if I try these new strategies. And, but we know the research says the students hate it because it's more work for the student, more work for the learner, and, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard, yeah. And so the students give the faculty poor, you know, outcomes. And so it's a terrible circle where they just end up lecturing again. This is where the evaluation of students is important. And our assessment of what students know is, it, you know, it varies widely from department to department. One of the things that I often hear is, well, somebody flipped their class and now all the students are getting A's. So it must be just really easy. Or this person's doing these activities that are not challenging, so the students are getting A's and it must be really easy. Well, is that really true? Or is it just because the students are actually learning the material, right? And we don't actually know the answer to that, unfortunately, because we don't do assessments well enough. So this kind of blows up into like, that's a big topic, just assessments alone and how to do those things. A lot of the student evaluations are focused on, did they like what they do? You know, right. did, was it enjoyable? Maybe, maybe they felt engaged, but they felt like they were engaged in a way that was going to improve their grade at the end or, you know, where they had fun in class. Is that the same as the quality of teaching? Is there a one-to-one -one relationship there? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, no You way. know, uh, there's also, you know, the cases where you look at the grade distribution and the lowest grade is an 88% um, in a class and all of the students love it. They give the teachers very high evaluation scores, and then you sit in that class and you're wondering where the evidence-based practice is, you know, what's going on here. So, so many things. So it's not just about personal identity 
necessarily that biases student evaluations, but there are so many other things that it could be. One, the size of the class. Sitting in a class of 343 students, which is Ooh. the size for a Strickler lecture hall, oh um, is not a good experience for freshmen, right? And then the grades, right? So if you are an easy grader, let's say, students might just tend to give you better evaluations, yes. right? So what does that actually tell you, you know? So getting back to what Jerry was asking about is the peer evaluations of teaching. One of the things that I would love to see happen is we adopt, we just have a culture of continuous improvement in our teaching so that we use what would be called formative assessment instead of only summative assessment. So when your peer comes in to see you teach, you're learning things, your peer is learning things, you know that the pressure is not on for merit and promotion, and you can kind of relax into this and learn something new and learn how to improve your teaching for our students' sake. So can anyone do a peer observation? Yes, I would say yes. Um, I, some people are going to do them better than others, you know? Like, I would love to see some training around peer evaluation. And we've started to do that in the College of Arts and Sciences. So uh, pre-pandemic, I worked with five different departments. And now I'm working with five different departments, uh, five additional departments, on how to improve their peer evaluations of teaching and just their evaluations of teaching overall for things like merit and promotion cases. Um, we used one of the, the resources from the Delphi Center is a reciprocal peer evaluation that we've been teaching that uses best practices such that you meet with the professor beforehand. The professor actually gives you some information about what they might like to learn something about or work on or have you particularly observe. You go observe the class, and then you meet again, and you have a discussion about it before writing any sort of report, right? So maybe I could give an example. So if I said, hey, Linda, could you come watch me teach? And, and then we would get together, and I could say, you know what? I've really noticed a lot of times I'm not asking very open-ended questions. It seemed to be asking lots of closed-ended questions. And so my goal is to try to ask better questions of my learners. So can you keep track of the types of questions I'm asking during the session? And so Linda can come in and she has a focus, right? So she knows what she's looking for because we communicated about that ahead of time. And so once the lesson is over, Linda and I can get back together and I'll say, okay, what data did you collect? And and then maybe we can brainstorm on different ways that, that I can improve so my questions can get better. So Linda, is there a concern that these kind of peer evaluations somehow count toward your value as a teacher in terms of promotion, in terms of tenure acquisition, and, and uh, rising through the ranks in the, in the academic world or, or in, in a performance evaluation around some kind of merit raise. Is it currently linked that way? That's a really good question. And there's all kinds of strife around the answer to that question, as you might imagine. Currently in the College of Arts and Sciences, to go up for um, promotion and tenure, you have to have two peer evaluations, right? Someone having sat and observed your class. 
there's no structure around that. So in that case, it is. It is very much linked to um, promotion and uh, tenure processes, which is not necessarily the best thing because that is the only place that it's required. So it could be that in a department, and departments have their own policies, a department might require that you have one done every year, which would be great to see because it would be more formative so that by the time you got to the one that's tied to promotion and tenure, right, you would be prepared. Um, so unfortunately, they seem to only be summative rather than formative. So you've described the current reality around the um, necessity of but insufficient quality around student evaluations. You've described now the, the problems that are inherent in the peer evaluation process with maybe lack of training and you get your best friend to come do it just so you could check that box and it happens twice in five years and how does that really help? So you've described the current reality and the problems with it. If you got to write the script, if you got to write the way it ought to be, can you talk about what the next iteration of this would be? What would be the your desired result for an, a peer evaluation process or, or a faculty evaluation process that included peer evaluation? What would that look like? One thing I think is that it should be what I would call a friendly critique, right? Um, it should involve a friendly critique first. And I've seen this work for people. I had an experience at another university where someone was teaching calculus and just getting terrible student evaluations. And it you know, became obvious that something was going on. So we had a colleague who was very good at teaching sit in that class, do the whole best practices of meeting and discussing. and that person improved. I mean, we saw the, everything change, actually, in that class. So that's the kind of stuff that I would like to see. What it might take could differ from person to person, because we have people that walk in the door who are great teachers, you know, so they probably don't need that kind of super critical evaluation and that much help. But then there are some people who do need it but because of the way that it's connected to promotion and tenure, they're not going to ask for it, right? right? I, I would imagine that even those faculty that come in with from whatever you know modeling they've done or they've had education classes and they come in and they are good at at teaching would still be good models for people to come and view. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So it sounds like you're describing this big gap between the current reality and what you think ought to be. But there's little glimpses of it where it does work, right? There's, yes. there's some places and some people that do it very well. There are observations that are happening that are collegially done in a way that could be very helpful for the individual. You've described how it can work for somebody who just needs some guidance. So you're really talking about a culture change process and you wanna change the culture of peer evaluation of how faculty do their teaching in terms of their effectiveness. What have you, what have you done to sort of look at how do you start changing that culture? Because that's what it sounds like you're headed towards. Well, as you know, cultural change <laughs> takes a long time and it's very difficult. And I would say that it's not just 
about teaching and the classroom experience. It's also about the degree to which you feel in the unit or in your department that teaching is valued. Oftentimes, we have colleagues that are in different units that are passionate about teaching, but they may not be a content expert. Do, can they still come and effectively give you a peer evaluation? Well, that's a great that's a great question because yes, the answer is yes. And the first time we did this with the five departments, we had we specifically matched people to do the peer evaluations that were from different departments. So we had someone from math observing theater, you know, really different. And at the time, I decided that that was my decision. And I thought, okay, this is really risky, but I want to see how it's going to work out. And it turned out to be like the best thing we could have done mm -hmm. and generated more genuine, great conversations about teaching than I ever would have thought. And what was happening is people were saying, you know, I could, I didn't have to worry. Like I wasn't having to worry about the content or someone coming in and judging me about being a biologist, right? They were just really looking at my teaching. And it was sort of liberating, I think, in some ways. And that's actually what I would love to do in the college is set up a, a nucleus of people who are very good at this that you could tap into, you as in someone in a department who wants an evaluation or observation, tap into this group and have someone from that group do that work for you, for your department. And part of that original test was to see how well that would go over because I have heard people say they didn't want someone from outside of the department. But now I think that that is unusual. I think actually people seem to appreciate having someone outside of their discipline watch their teaching. So, you know, in the Health Science Center, uh, th there are classroom-based teaching, especially in the first two years. And it's a, a tiny minority of the faculty overall that are engaged in that kind of work. Much of the teaching happens at the bedside or in a clinic. And, and so for the vast majority of the faculty, whether they're in dentistry, nursing, or in or medicine or public health, the majority of the teaching happens other, outside of a classroom. And so in that setting, it provides some unique challenges because you're teaching in an environment where you're delivering clinical care. At the same time, you're making judgments about patients, and it's fast-moving, it's interrupting, there's phone calls, there's pages. Stuff just happens. It's a chaotic environment, so it's not the controlled environment of the classroom. So we would have to think about how do you start to do peer observation in a, in a chaotic system like that and then deal with the same issue you just described about math teachers watching the theater presentation, um, I think I'd have trouble convincing pediatric ID doctors, that's what I am, to have an endocrine doctor in pediatrics come watch me teach, much less a math teacher <laughs> or a theater professor or whoever else you're going to bring in that's the expert. But, you know, if we could dissolve those fears... And it really comes down to, it's actually, as you, your word, liberating, to have somebody who doesn't know anything about infectious disease comes in and just judges open-ended question or not. You don't have to be an ID doctor to see that. Right. You know, and all the other criteria that might come into the peer evaluation. So 
we, the challenges that you face, I think, are only magnified in the worlds that we would try to invoke peer teaching observations. And that's a big area that we need to figure out how, how we should work on. Maybe you could show us in ANS how it works, <laughs> and then we'll adopt that or adapt it in a way that we can try and do that at the health sciences. So would you work with us on that? <laughs> I would love people. to. But, you know, one of the things that we also do is we have labs. And lab yeah, situations yeah. are not the same as classroom situations, okay. right? It's not the same as a clinical experience, which I recognize, especially when it's, you know, real-world clinical experience and the kind of chaos you talk about happening. But I still see that, you know, there are the, just some of the same things. You have to have respect for people. You have to communicate. You have to be clear, right, in what you are getting across and things like that. So those are things that someone who is perceptive, essentially, could be in that clinical experience and still be able to give you feedback about how these messages are getting across. If you are a faculty member who wants to go do a peer observation, what tools do you have to help structure that process? First of all, you can go look up things about best practices, right? There are structured observation protocols and there are unstructured observation protocols. And I, we've kind of been talking about the unstructured protocols for the most part. A structured protocol would be something like COPUS, which is the Classroom Observation Protocol for Undergraduate STEM. And although it sounds science, math, engineering oriented, it's really about behaviors of the professor and the students in the classroom. And I would say that that is a tool that's readily available at your fingertips. We also have access to a digital platform called GORP, the Generalized Observation and Reflection Platform. Um, and you can get um, you know, an account on GORP, and GORP allows you to, say, bring your tablet, computer, or whatever into a classroom and basically, you know, uh, record using a very easy interface the actions that are happening in the classroom. And what that gives you, one of the things that I see that people like best about it is it gives you this nice visual. Uh, it creates graphics so that you can see, you know, how much time were students spending just sitting and listening? How much time was the teacher spending just talking and not asking any questions or interacting, for example? It also spills over into research. So if you do any sort of educational research, uh, this is a platform that's used readily in the literature. It's been used to uh, explain how to do these kinds of observations in an article that was published in Science. So it's been adopted by the educational research community. You know that a podcast is a pretty passive activity. Every time we interview someone, we always ask, what is one thing you'd like to ask our listeners to do next week after they hear the podcast relative to peer evaluations or peer observations? Oh, the first thing I would say is invite someone to your class to watch you teach or go to someone else's class and watch them teach. So even if you can't, even if you can't find someone, you know, Jerry, I'm looking at you, <laughs> you can't pull somebody to come watch you, you could go watch someone else. Yes. That's right. So, yeah. 
You will learn something. You will learn. I promise you will learn something. Thank you so much for being here. It's been great. And we appreciate all the insight you've given us about peer observation. Thanks. It's been fun. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional information from today's session, as well as our email address. Feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more, and come hungry.